0: This week's Simple Brand episode features a From the Vault discussion with Dan Gingas. We're currently taking a break during the month of December, and during that time, we're sharing some of our favorite customer experience-related episodes. In addition to this episode with Dan, you'll hear from some of my favorite customer experience discussions with guests like Margaret Malloy, Annette Franz, and Nate Brown. So if you haven't heard those yet, you'll definitely want to check those out. or you can just be like me and take a pause to enjoy the holiday season. But if you've already heard these guest episodes the first time around, then you should definitely check out my friend Brittany Hodak's new podcast, Creating Superfans. You heard from Brittany in episode 67 of the Simple Brand podcast. The Creating Superfans podcast is a fun, entertaining crash course in turning customer experience into your superpower. Each week, Brittany spotlights brands that she loves and interviews some of the most brilliant minds in business today. And at the end of every episode, you'll have a list of new ideas to turn your customers and your employees into loyal, raving superfans. Now, after you check out Brittany's Creating Superfans podcast, I hope you'll come back and listen to more of the Simple Brand podcast, because we'll be back next month with our regular schedule of all new interviews with all new guests. For now, enjoy this From the Vault discussion with Dan Gingis. To create experiences that
1: are positive enough that people stop and say, well, that's different, and I enjoyed that, and I feel good about that. My, of course, uh, strategy in the whole book is they also then take the step to say, and I want to tell somebody about that. I just had an amazing experience at a restaurant last night. The service was impeccable. The food was to die for. The atmosphere was just so romantic and amazing. I can't wait to tell somebody about it. And that's what we really want to have happen is to draw that kind of emotion so that our customers become our best salespeople. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now here's your host, Matt Lyles.
0: You want to know one of the biggest mistakes that most business owners make? It's the mistake of assuming that their customers are rational people. Too many business leaders assume their customers make decisions with their heads. So they focus on product features. They focus on messaging that explains all the things a product or service does. Some will even go as far to make the major mistake of focusing on price. But in reality, we know that our customers are not rational people. They make irrational decisions on what they buy and who they're loyal to. And that's why you can never really compete on features or especially price. Instead, the best place to compete is on the customer experience. You have to create an experience for your customers that taps into what they're really looking for, sometimes even unconsciously. You have to provide a truly remarkable customer experience that taps into all the right feelings and emotions that help the customer feel like they're winning their day, like they're a hero. And that's why I'm happy to geek out over customer experience lessons with Dan Gingas this week. Dan's an international keynote speaker and customer experience coach who believes that a remarkable customer experience is your best marketing strategy. True story. He's had a 20-year professional career where he's held leadership positions at McDonald's, Discover, and Humana. He also hosts the Experience This Show podcast and the Experience Maker Show. And Dan is the author of the Experience Maker, how to create remarkable experiences that your customers can't wait to share. In The Experience Maker, Dan teaches us how to focus on and create a customer experience that will actually retain customers so we can focus more on them than having to spend the time, spend the money, and spend the resources on constantly trying to gain new customers. So here it is. Here's my interview with Dan Gingus. Hey, Dan, how's it going? I
1: am doing awesome, Matt. So excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad you're here. I have uh, seen some of your content speaking, and I'm excited about The Experience Maker. So congrats on that. Well, thank you. It was definitely a labor of love and nothing like a good pandemic to get you to sit down and write a book, right? There you go. And it's with Morgan James Publishing, right? It is indeed. I think so highly of that group. Good for you. Yeah, they've been great. Well, so before we get in the interview, I want to talk about your background a little bit. You're from Chicago and you grew up in Chicago and Chicago is home to a number of uh, legendary athletes. So I'm curious if you've had a chance to meet any legendary Chicago athletes in your previous roles.
1: Well, as a matter of
0: fact, Matt, first, I want to tell you that
1: I had a role in uh, Discover for three years where I traveled internationally. And I am telling you, it did not matter where I went. It could have been Latin America, Europe, Asia, didn't matter. When I said I was from Chicago, the first two words out of a local's mouth were Michael and Jordan. (laughs) And in fact... Love it. I did get a chance to meet Michael Jordan uh, when I was in high school. I delivered pizzas for Domino's. And believe it or not, Michael Jordan was, he may still be is, I don't know, a big fan of Domino's pizza and ordered regularly. And so there was an occasion where I answered the phone. It was him on the other line. Uh, oh, I took wow. his order. I made his pizza and I delivered his pizza And it was certainly memorable. And I write it off as actually one of my first customer service experiences because the thing I noticed, uh, besides from how tall he is, is that when he opened the door, he was looking... Not over my head just because I'm shorter than he is, but he was looking (laughs) behind me to make sure there weren't any paparazzi or onlookers or whatever. And I had been told ahead of time by the other drivers that you could ask for an autograph and he would gladly give you one, but then he wouldn't give you a tip. Or you don't ask for an autograph, and he's a very generous tipper. And the moment I saw his eyes kind of scanning his front yard, I just said to myself, there's no way I'm bothering him for an autograph. And he was a very generous tipper. And although I've spent that money (laughs) a long time ago, I still got the story and that's well worth it.
0: Oh, absolutely. What a wonderful story. And I love how you connect that to customer experience, customer service, being able to literally read the customer and then know how to interact based on how you're reading them. Exactly. And more companies should do that more often every day because
1: we often think of our customers in terms of account numbers or in terms of groups of people. We often segment our customers just like we do in marketing And, you know, I like to make the joke that if you segmented mid 40s bald white guys in Chicago, I would fall into that segment. But so would another half a million people that have nothing to do with me, that are not anywhere similar to me in any other way. And so if you treat us all the same, you're not likely to get the same response
0: and you're not likely to get the same satisfaction. Thank you for saying that and recognizing that. I actually just wrote an article on that this week. The fact that in business, we've gotten so ingrained into reporting and metrics that it's caused a detriment to how we interact with others, how we interact with the people that we lead, how we collaborate with other team members, and then especially how we deliver a customer experience. And instead of focusing on all these different categories, instead of saying, we've got users, we've got clients, we've got prospects, we've got subscribers, we have people, real people with real challenges and real problems and real goals. Can I get an amen?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very well said. Yeah. Oh, and
0: I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It, this
1: is about how we acquire customers, how we treat them while they are our customer. And when you treat a customer well in a personalized way... And I don't mean... When we say personalization, that doesn't mean using their name in a mail merge on an email. That's not personalization. I mean, personalization is about knowing who the person is, knowing what their challenges are, what they're going through. In some ways, the pandemic made this easier because for the first time, certainly in our lifetimes almost everyone in the world was going through the same thing at the same exact time. Yeah. So if you couldn't show empathy then, I, I don't have a whole lot of hopes for you that you're ever going to be able to show empathy because we knew exactly what our customers were going through because we're going through it ourselves. But it also presented opportunities that we didn't have before. So think about a B2B customer or a B2B company that's, say, meeting with customers or prospects on Zoom instead of in person. Well, on Zoom, we have the ability to literally see into people's homes. We might see, and this did happen to me once, a framed Michael Jordan jersey in the background. Wow. Uh, We might see a pet, a cat or a dog going through the picture, or kids, or a spouse, or a significant other. And all of a sudden, you now know more about this person than you ever would have had you not had this opportunity to see them on a screen. And the question is, what do we do with that? And do we ever come back and say, hey, how's the pop? Or did your kids start school yet? Or just human conversation to show that we've
0: paid attention
1: and that we care about them as a person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you probably saw in my background. I've got a big bookshelf full of books. I love to read and I have kept all the books that I've collected for over 20 years most of them are business books, some are biographies, some are some good fiction. And then on the other bookshelf, I've got you know two crates full of vinyl albums, vinyl that I've collected for 25 plus years. So next time you see me, you might be able to say, oh, Matt, hey, I found a new book for you that I think you'd love. Or, hey, Matt, did you get this new album? Did you get the uh, R.E.M.'s 25th Anniversary New Adventures and Hi-Fi album that just came out? Absolutely. And I, I love that. And first of all, that you're willing
1: to share that. But also, yeah, that's some of what makes you, you. And yes. when people know that and can circle back to that, I'll give you a similar example. The number of people that have sent me the article that the National Pinball Museum was closing down <laughs> and auctioning off their machines, they all know that I'm a big pinball fan. I have five machines in my basement. And so they see this article and they think of me and they send it and it's really nice right yeah. it, it feels good that people that people think to themselves wow you know Dan might like this or Matt might like this and i'm going to suggest it to them and it doesn't take a lot it doesn't take a sophisticated crm system no but it does take the ability to collect the information as you get it and then to use it in a authentic way So that you, again, are showing the person that the human relationship is important to you. And, you know, I tell a story in my book and I love to tell it on stage and keynotes as well about Chewy.com, which is known Mm. for being just amazing at customer experience. And one of the things they do early on in the relationship is they capture the name of your pet and they're not afraid to use it. You know, They're not afraid to use it in emails. They're not afraid to use it in a little note that they enclose in your shipping box. Uh, Sometimes they've been known to send out portraits to their customers of their pets for free, just as a surprise and delight. And they're, of course, also known for when a pet dies, for sending a condolence card and sending flowers. Now think about that for a second. The pet dies... That likely means, in a lot of households, that customer just became an ex-customer because they they don't have a pet anymore. Customer life cycle is over. Right. But Chewy knows better than that. They know that that person is more than likely going to end up with another pet somewhere down the line. And of course, they're going to come back and shop at Chewy. So it's one of the things... I know this is not exactly what you asked, but one of the things that really I've been thinking about lately is the great companies focus on the long-term value of the relationship over the short-term gain of an individual transaction. And that is so important. And it definitely separates the leaders from the laggards. One of the other stories I tell in the book is when I ordered a set of pots and pans from Amazon. And one of the lids arrived, it was a glass lid and it arrived shattered. I'm obviously disappointed. So I call Amazon and I ask for a replacement lid. And at first, the lady's like, well, I don't know how to help you because I don't know how to get a replacement lid. And then she thought for a moment and she said, I got a better idea. I'm just going to refund your money entirely and just keep the pots and pans. So in about a minute, I went from being disappointed that I had a broken lid to feeling like, lid? What lid? I got free pots of bands, you know? And so, and, and they know Amazon knows, did they lose money on that transaction? You bet they did, but they know how loyal of a customer I am and how loyal I'm going to continue to be. And I guarantee you, they have made up that lost transaction in spades from all of the times that I'm ordering per week on Amazon. Now your listeners might be saying that's great, but Amazon's a trillion dollar company and I don't have that kind of money fine. Bring it down to your level, to your scope. And still ask yourself, is it worth fighting over the customer over an individual transaction? Or maybe just taking it in the chin for the individual transaction, knowing that that customer is going to be with you for years to come, that they're going to refer others to you, that they're going to help you grow your business, and it's going to be well worth it. That's
0: right. It's all about creating that relationship. And... If you strip out B2C, B2B, strip out the sales to client relationship, it's really about people having a relationship with other people. And the majority of people love to feel valued. They love it when someone recognizes them. And when they're recognized, they feel valued. Absolutely. And you talk about, personalization. And I got turned on to this, oh, maybe a little over a year ago. Andrew Davis and I talked about personalization, and we talked a lot about Reverse personalization. Reverse personalization, I think, is just as important as personalization. So meaning, if you were to contact me here in the future, you might ask about some new albums that have come out or some new books. And, hey, you really recommend this book. That's personalization to me. At the same time, to help create and develop that relationship You would share more information about yourself with me, yourself and your background and what's going on in Chicago and your favorite Chicago style pizza or your favorite hot dog. And then that helps me better understand you. And Domino's Pizza is actually a great example of that, because when you order a pizza from Domino's, they'll tell you, hey, Matt, Dan is in the kitchen making your pizza right now. Hey, Matt, your pizza's ready, and Rachel's taking it, and Rachel will be delivering it to you right now, instead of just no information at all and just waiting to see when it shows up in the door. But like now I know, oh, Rachel's on her way. And then if for some reason it's a few minutes late, you know what? Rachel's a real human being. Maybe she got caught in traffic. Maybe something happened. It's okay with me. You're right. I haven't heard it called reverse personalization
1: before, but it's a really good term that... The idea that there are human beings behind the company that are providing you with your product or service, I do think, gives people pause before they start yelling or screaming or getting angry or what have you. Yeah. And also, it kind of underscores this idea that the company is really only as good as its employees. And customer experience, the beauty of customer experience is that it is delivered by employees. And you have a unique set of employees. No one else has your employees. And that's why I think customer experience can be the ultimate differentiator for really any company.
0: Now, when we talk about Customer experience, I hear so many people reference and talk about customer experience. And when I hear them talk, it seems like people have a variety of definitions that they use when they talk about customer experience. But seeing as how you're one of the experts on customer experience, how do you define customer experience?
1: It has two pieces to it. My formal definition is it's how customers feel about every single interaction they have with a company. And the 2 pieces are the feeling part because perception is reality. So if customers feel that something is difficult, if they're insulted by something or what have you, that's their feeling. We can't really argue with feelings. And then every single interaction is really about this idea that you have to be aware. The experience starts before they're a customer. They're dealing with a salesperson or they're seeing your marketing or advertising out. That's the experience before the experience. And then everything that happens, whether it's in person, it's online, on a mobile app, wherever, is part of that experience. And it all feeds into the brand perception. And if we're not able to consider that entire experience is made up of a lot of smaller experiences, then we end up missing the opportunity to focus on making every touch point as I say, remarkable, worthy of discussion, worthy of sharing.
0: It's that sum total of all of those little pieces of experience and all those moments and all those interactions. Exactly. And it does all add up. But now when you think of it that way, if you think of it as adding up all of those things, I'm curious to know from your perspective, are there key moments, are there key interactions that can really change a customer's feeling compared to some other interactions? Well, I mean, what we've definitely found is that people will share
1: very positive experiences and very negative experiences. No one has ever said, let me tell you about the average restaurant I went to last night, okay? (laughs) It was so meh. (laughs) Exactly. The thing is, is that the vast majority of experiences that we do have with brands are meh. Average, ordinary, so-so, whatever word you want to use. And so the idea is to create experiences that are positive enough that people stop and say, well, that's different. And I enjoyed that. And I feel good about that. My, of course, uh, strategy in the whole book is they also then take the step to say, and I want to tell somebody about that. I just had an amazing experience at a restaurant last night. The service was impeccable. The food was to die for. The the atmosphere was just so romantic and amazing. I can't wait to tell somebody about it. And that's what we really want to have happen is to draw that kind of emotion
0: so that our customers become our best salespeople. Yeah, that's it. Having that word of mouth. And at one point, you don't want your customers to tell all their friends about the negative experience they have. And then moving forward, you don't want them to be super silent either. Hey, how was your experience at the store? Yeah, it was okay. So you want to get to that point where they have that such a positive experience that they have to share it with other people. Absolutely. And when you do it right, they can't help themselves
1: but to share it. You know, think about the last time where you're with a group of people and everyone pulls out their phone at once to take a picture. Mm -hmm. No one told you to do that. There wasn't a sign that said, hey, everyone, take out your phone and take a picture together, right? But people just instinctively do it. And that's when you know you've got a truly shareable experience. And look, they're not easy to create. They don't happen overnight. But there are certain techniques that you can use to increase the chances that you've got shareable experience.
0: Yeah. And I think it's that inspiration from those key moments in that experience. So when you talk about tools to be able to help shape that, are you talking about your Wiser framework? Well, that is definitely a tool that I recommend. And walk me through that.
1: Sure. So the first part is wise, because I want to make companies wise to customer experience. And that stands for witty, immersive, shareable, and extraordinary, which are 4 different concepts or elements of a customer experience that make them remarkable. And again, remarkable means literally worthy of remark, worthy of talking about or sharing. And then once you get people to share and talk about your brand, because you've used these wise elements, the R, which makes you wiser than the competition, is to be responsive. To jump onto social media and respond back to people who are complimenting you, who are talking, uh, sharing a great experience that they had with your brand. If I got off a stage or you got off a stage, Matt, when we keynote, and somebody runs up to us and says, that was the... Best keynote I've ever heard. And we keep walking past them and don't say anything. I don't think that lands real well. I think they would think we were rude. Yeah. But companies do that all the time. Their people are taking time out of their day, using up their own social capital to compliment brands, to share great experiences. And then they hear crickets. Yeah. And so the R is really an opportunity to get out there, be part of the conversation and celebrate the fact that people are saying nice things about
0: you. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience. I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event the last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. Well, I think that a lot of it comes from uh, customer service, customer support training, and they're trained to solve problems. They're trained to respond to problems or unmet expectations or to respond to complaints. And that's all they're trained for. And so if they receive or see or read something that doesn't fall in either of those categories, they're not trained for it. And I think in their head, they're saying, what do I do with this? I don't know. I'll just ignore it. Absolutely. You're totally right. And we have to
1: retrain customer service agents to handle positive posts. And I actually think that a mistake that a lot of companies made early on and still make is that they have a community management team. I'm giving you air quotes. You can't see them, but I promise you I'm doing it.
0: (laughs) I feel the air quotes.
1: Yeah. When I say community management. And really where this came from was that marketing said, Hey... Talking to happy customers and and brand lovers, that's fun. We'd like to do that. Oh, but if they have anything wrong, if they need customer service, no, we're going to hand that over to somebody else. Well, the reason why that's a mistake is that customer service agents are trained to talk to customers, which marketers generally are not. Right. But the best part is when you let a customer service agent occasionally talk to a happy person, then it actually makes them a whole lot better and more patient when they're talking to the upset customers. Think about the day in the life of a customer service agent on the telephone where all they do every time the phone rings, they know before they pick up, it's going to be someone who's upset about something. That has got to be tough, tough work. Now, if I have a chance to actually engage with people who are happy... That gives me a little bit of energy and I believe makes me a better agent going forward.
0: Absolutely. And I think it can help with their job satisfaction. And with that increased job satisfaction comes increased job loyalty. And when you have loyal customer service reps, then you have longer tenured service reps that are able to solve a number of problems without having to take the time to go figure it out. Absolutely. So one thing that we talk about customers is that we all want customer loyalty because we know it's easier to keep customers than to have to find new ones. So what is it that helps create customer loyalty? Well, there's a
1: number of things and customer loyalty can mean different things to different companies, different types of companies. But really, it comes down to simplicity and doing the simple things better convenience, making it so that I can get in and out quickly or that you're locally located or that it's just easy for me to buy products from you. And then I do think this experience piece around how am I treated? Am I valued? A a former boss of mine once said, loyalty goes both ways. So the company... Is the company loyal to me? Okay, then I want to be loyal to the company. A perfect example of this, and this has been a blog post of mine that's been rattling around in my head and I haven't written it yet, is this idea of when we buy insurance, we pick a company and maybe we like their TV commercials or maybe they're the lowest priced or some other reason that we end up going. And so we're loyal to them for months and months, maybe years. We're paying every month. We're paying our insurance fees. And then we have a claim. And that is this moment of truth where we're going to find out, is the company as loyal to me as I've been to them? Are they going to handle my claim seamlessly, fast, simple, and just make it as easy as possible for me? Or are they going to fight me every step of the way and try not to cover the claim and come up with all the fine print and all the reasons why they don't have to cover it? That moment, and the reason why it's a blog post is, it's fascinating to me that as consumers, we have to go in blind. We don't know whether this company is going to treat us well until it's too late. And I've had both experiences. I've had an insurance company—true story. The day my son was born, uh, almost 16 years ago, the day he was born, our basement flooded. Oh my goodness! I got a call in the hospital that our—and this is our firstborn, you know—so everybody's all nutty. I get a call in the hospital that our basement has flooded. I went and lived with my parents for two weeks. When I came back, my basement was completely redone. No questions asked. Everything covered by insurance. That is why I have insurance. I've also had situations where I uh, ran over something on the street that was unavoidable. I was on a highway and I and there was an object in the road. And I, if I swerved, I was going to die. So I had to run over right. it. And the thing, of course, beat up the uh, bottom of my car. And I had to fight with the insurance company who said it was my fault that the car was damaged. And it's like, you know what? That's the different sides of a potential outcome. And we're just talking about insurance here. But you get the point that... Really, customers want to know, are you going to be there for them when they need you? And I will tell you nothing like a good pandemic to answer that question. Because we learned very early on in the pandemic, which companies were there for us and which ones were just phoning it in or weren't prepared or weren't there for us. And that's why you saw so many people switch brands in the last year and a half, two years. Because let's face it, switching costs in almost every industry... Are near nothing. We just go Google it and we go find another option and we switch providers. It's not very hard. It is so much easier to switch these days. It definitely is for almost every industry. You think just because you're a dentist and you fixed my teeth for the last 10 years that I'm not going anywhere? Well, try treating me like, and I'm going to pick up and go find another dentist because there's 20 of them in my area. So, you know, you have to understand no matter what business you're in that generally, I mean, I like to say competing on price is a loser's game. It's a race to the bottom. Right. And competing on product or service has become increasingly difficult because everything is commoditized. Even the most one of the most innovative companies in our generation, Uber, was essentially copied by Lyft. And now if you get into a car, not only could you not tell the difference between an Uber and a Lyft, the chances are The car is an Uber and a Lyft. So where's the distinction now in the product? There is none. And so if you can't compete on price, you can't compete on product. What's left is customer experience. That's the only thing we can compete on. And when customers understand that you're going to be there for them, that loyalty is going to go both ways, they're going to be not only loyal
0: to you, but they're going to tell their friends. Absolutely, they will. Especially when it comes down to those Key moments of truth. Now, I may tell my friends about the cleanliness of a store or how cool an ad was, but when it comes down to that key moment of truth, like you said, we have a relationship going. It's a pretty decent relationship. When I needed you the most, you literally came through for me. And for that, I'm truly grateful and I'm going to be loyal to you. And you know what? I'm telling my friends about you too absolutely and you look at companies that are
1: able to charge a premium yep and still have loyal customers one of the ones i think about is usaa now it's not i'm sorry to go back to insurance but it's not always the cheapest trust me i've shopped them around a number of times over the years they're not always the cheapest but man i know they're going to be there if i need them and that is worth something and I think for some customers, it doesn't matter. And They just want the cheapest because they don't think they're going to ever have a claim and they're not going to think farther than today. For me, having had a claim or two in my past and knowing you know, when it goes well and when it doesn't go well, I want a company that I know is going to be there for me. And that's why I will pay a little bit more.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you know what? We can turn this into the insurance hour. I'm with Farm Bureau because I left my corporate role almost two years ago and being out on my own, we had to figure out, okay, like, well, we need insurance. We need to figure out where to go for that. And we had similar friends that own small businesses and a handful of them all said, oh, try Farm Bureau, we like it. Oh, well, there you go already, right? You're going because of a referral. Exactly. So whatever they're doing, they're doing well enough that people are wanting to talk about them. Exactly. And every interaction that we've had with them has been so personable. Not necessarily like personalized, but just personable. Like I can see myself being friends with these people. And we've had a couple of moments of truth times with them. And they came through for us every single time.
1: There you go. Then there's no reason to ever look around, right? There's no reason to shop because you're happy. And another example of this, and I know that a lot of times Amazon causes people's eyes to roll, but look, people, they are the best at what they do because they focus on it every single day. And a great uh, example is to look at Amazon Prime and to look at the fact that the price has gone up, I think, at least four times since they introduced it. And almost no one blinks an eye. In fact, if you told me, if you asked me right now how much it costs, I don't really know. I, I would 90, guess, but I don't know the exact amount. I think it's over hundred it now, is, yes. but I'm not sure. I'm not sure, right? That's the whole point. The point is the value is so great and they continue to add to the value that you don't even think about it when it comes up due every year. You just pay it and you gladly pay it. And that's what we all have to ask ourselves is, are we doing more than just delivering the product or service that we're supposed to deliver? Are we delivering value to the customer so that they don't mind reaching into their wallet and paying us? Because that's what we want them to do,
0: right? Yes. Without question. Ideal scenario is that if somebody asks your customer, hey, how much does this service cost? And they say, you know, I can't quite recall, but either way, it's totally worth it. That's the ideal situation. Exactly. Exactly. So what's one piece of advice that you'd give companies today on how they can stand out with their customer experience?
1: Don't do what your competitors are doing. And stop looking to your competitors for inspiration. If you are a bank, the last place that you should look for inspiration is another bank. You should be looking at amusement parks and movie theaters and the Lego store and things that have nothing to do with the bank. And you'll find inspiration and you'll say, wait a minute, what if we turn this around, did a little bit different and did it at our bank? We could do this. And you all, suddenly something that you see at the Lego store becomes a great way to provide a really cool experience to someone at your bank. And... The thing is, though, is that we often, we put the blinders on and we just compare ourselves to our direct competitors. But the thing is, folks, that's not how customers are comparing you. They are comparing you to every other customer experience they've had. They're comparing you to that fabulous dinner they had last night. That may not be fair, but that's what's going on. So in order to combat that, in order to stand out with customer experience, look over your shoulder at what your competitors are doing and then do something different. I mean, one of the things that I wrote about in the book, I thought it was so fascinating. There was a study done by a website design agency. They were frustrated because they had a B2B client that would not listen to them about the navigation labels on their site. They said, well, we have to have these words oh, because man. everyone else has these words. So they went out and they did a study and they asked people, if you were looking for such and such on this site, what navigation... Tab, would you go to? Would you go to products, services, resources, you know, whatever those, you know, those generic words that everybody has? And what they found was customers had no flipping clue. They literally chose like 25% each chose one of four different tabs. There was no consensus on where people should go. And so let's think about that for a minute. Every company is using the same navigation labels, which is why every company is doing it because everybody else is doing it. And yet no one bothered to ask any customers if they made any sense to them. And so finally, this agency went and did the research and then they were able to convince their client, "Ah, maybe you should use some more descriptive labels so people actually can find what they're looking for. But But we often get stuck in that rut where we just look around and we say, well, they've been doing it that way and they're the big guys. And so we'll do it the same way. And I'll say one other thing about this. I spent most of my career working for follower brands. Discover is you know, the fourth or fifth biggest uh, credit card company and Humana is a large insurance company, but certainly not the largest in the US. And then I spent a little bit of time at McDonald's. And it was fascinating to me to see what a number one brand does versus a follower brand. And what I found was that follower brands are far more likely to take a risk, to do something different, to try something new, to be a little more aggressive. Whereas McDonald's was so conservative. And we'd look and I mean, I was running social media and we'd look over at Wendy's and we'd be like... Oh, why can't we work for Wendy's? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> oh, they're wow. a lot of fun, yeah. right? We're not allowed to be I love fun. Their social right? channels. Yeah. But that's because, you know, they've always done it that way. And it just, you get stuck in a rut like that. And so definitely look to some of your favorite brands and your favorite companies and find that inspiration. And that's why I had so much fun writing this book because the book is basically. I don't know, about 4 dozen stories. I love being a storyteller. I love sharing fun experiences. And the hope is that you read these stories and at least a few of them jump out to you and say, Man, I'll bet we could do something similar at our company. And then you go and do it. Not because they're a competitor. Not because they're in the same industry. In fact, chances are they're not going to be in the same industry. But it doesn't mean it's not a great idea that you can take for your company.
0: You're absolutely right. Yeah. And I love being able to find inspiration from left field and then apply that in the work that I'm doing, either in my previous career or in work that I'm doing with clients. And to your point, like that's one thing that I preach is... As much as you may want to focus on your direct competitors and how much market share you're gaining or how much market share you're losing, your customers don't care about that. Your customers are comparing you to their last best experience. I work for FedEx and FedEx is a fantastic company. They've done so much work on the FedEx experience. At the same time, you know, going back, talking about Domino's, we were talking about earlier, If I can track my Domino's pizza coming through my neighborhood and see it making the turns and then coming on my block, and I can walk right up to my door to meet them as soon as they're there, I expect FedEx, UPS, USPS to be able to show me the same information. Of course. And then you're going to expect your grocery
1: delivery driver right. to do it too right you're going right. to you're going to expect someone that's not in the same industry right to be able to do that and so yeah we got to look at the best experiences out there and then ask are we able to do something similar because the best experiences are what mold customer expectations
0: you're absolutely right and then thinking about grocery delivery so if i can go to great clips or sport clips, you know, get my haircut. I don't know if you have much experience with haircuts. <laughs> <do you? laughs> Not as many as maybe as much as you do. I used to. <laughs> I understand. But if I can go to sport clips or great clips and I can go to any location in the U.S. and then they access my name and their database and they know the exact specifications on how I like my haircut. Why can't my grocery delivery do the same thing? Why can't the person that is getting my groceries access a database that says, Matt really loves his bananas to be all slightly green, yeah, no brown spots whatsoever. And then they automatically have that information. I don't have to worry about it. Absolutely. And instead, what they do is they
1: say, oh, we're all out of Campbell's chicken noodle soup instead of thinking, well, maybe we'll substitute another brand and maybe we'll even just give it to him because it's you know a 99 can of soup yeah. and apologize that we're out of Campbell's this week, will solve his problem, right? Instead of, oh, well, I ordered soup because I needed soup and now I don't have soup. And so I got to go somewhere else for soup. And I can tell you how many times that <laughs> happened to me since I started ordering with, for curbside pickup. I usually, I actually enjoy grocery shopping. So I was doing it myself. Um, And that was the most frustrating part for me was like, okay, if you're out of stock, do you not have anything else in your store that might solve my problem? You know, I need yeast. I asked for Fleischmann's because that's the one brand I know, but I'll take the store brand. Just give me yeast or give me whatever it is that I asked for. It was unbelievable to me how often they just... To me, it's just laziness. It's not... You know, when you think customer first, you instinctively say if I don't have this product and the customer has a problem, how can I solve the problem for the customer? And even if you told me, look, we're out of this particular product, we had to substitute it with this product. And I'm sorry, it's a tiny bit more expensive, but I thought it was better than having you not get anything. Most people are going to understand that. And they're yeah. going to appreciate that you spent the time to actually think it through it for them.
0: And if they're out of every single chicken noodle soup then, hey, Matt, you know what? I got you a rotisserie chicken, and I got you some fresh celery, and I got you some fresh <laughs> carrots, and I got you some chicken stock, and I got you some rosemary, and I got these noodles for you. It may take you more time to make it, but I think it's going to taste a lot better than the canned stuff. But I think the key to that is having management, is having the C-suite and leadership ensure that their frontline employees are empowered to do that. Just in the same way that the Amazon customer service rep was empowered to immediately make that decision to say, oh, you know what? Out of this entire cookingware set, you had one lid that was shattered. You know what? You get the whole set for free. That's empowerment right there.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think it is yeah, you have to put some guardrails on it. I understand. That's fine. But yes, and not only does is it empowering so that the agent can help the customer, but the agent feels better because they feel powerful, like they feel like they're that they can do something on their own that they don't have to read from a script or whatever it is. And I think that again makes them
0: better at what they do. Absolutely. They feel valued, their job satisfaction increases, their job loyalty increases, they get better at their job and can solve more problems. Man, Dan, I think we've just solved a myriad of problems here with customer experience. Well, I hope so. And I hope that
1: your listeners get value from it.
0: Well, even if they didn't, I know they will, but I sure did. Hey, Dan, last question for you. If you were to create a five-song soundtrack for the experience maker... What songs would you include? Well, thank you for
1: asking me this. And I have to tell you, you did give me some heads up. you were going to ask me this question. And I, this was a hard question to answer. So I'm kind of proud of this list. So the first song that I chose is the theme to The Greatest Showman, which is called The Greatest Show, because uh, not only do I talk about The Greatest Showman in my book, but if anybody has seen me on stage, you may or may not have heard me sing a few bars from this song, (laughs) uh, because I like to try to create an experience on stage. Which bars do you sing? Sing them now. Whoa! Boom! Ladies and gents, this is the moment you waited for. Whoa! There you go, man. First time I've ever done that on a podcast. Oh, my goodness. I closed (laughs) my
0: eyes. I saw you wearing the red coat with the long tails and the top hat and the audience clapping behind you. I saw it right there. That's awesome.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. And by the way, if you haven't seen that movie... Stop what you're doing and go watch it because it's amazing. All right. Song number two, I had to do it. I went for Elton John's Daniel oh. just because that's that's me. Um, and so I always song. liked that song. Then I went to my favorite singer of all time is Paul Simon. And I picked an obscure song of his, okay. but I think you'll understand why. It's called Keep the Customer Satisfied. And uh, go tell Alexa or whoever to play that song for you. And it's actually a nice song, but just not one of his uh, more famous ones.
0: What album is that song on? I'm not familiar with it.
1: Oh boy, I'm gonna have to Google that while you're ta- while we're talking. I don't
0: remember. It's okay, no worries. I'm, I'll go find it. I've never heard it, but now I want to.
1: Yeah, it's actually I should say it's Simon and Garfunkel, not not Paul Simon on his own. It's a oh, okay. it's an oldie. And then I went to Phil Collins' Dance Into the Light, nice. uh, which is one of his sort of upbeat 80s songs. I think it's 80s. And that's because the cover of the book has a light bulb on it. And my my logo is all about creating CX ideas, the light bulb. And then the final song was by Smash Mouth, uh, the one called All Star, because I want to make... I believe that experience makers are the all-stars of businesses. And my hope is that between us, Matt, you and I can create more experience makers at businesses to help treat customers better, keep them more loyal, keep them coming back, and have them tell their friends. And those are the kind of all-stars I want on my team.
0: Absolutely. That's the goal. And then when those people are able to create those experiences, they're less stressed in their role. They don't have to worry about the problems as much, and they can focus more of their time on more of the needle-moving items to really grow their business forward. And they feel more effective and more effective in their personal life too. Exactly. Exactly. And hey,
1: my friend Google just told me that uh, Keep the Customer Satisfied was released by Simon and Garfunkel uh, in 1970 on their album, Bridge Over Troubled Water.
0: Oh, Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to check it out now. That's awesome. I feel bad that I've not heard that song before. Maybe I have and just forgot it, but I'm going to listen to it as soon as we get off of here. Dan, this has been amazing. This has been an amazing discussion. It's been a great experience for me. We've learned a lot, but where can people go to learn more from you? Come visit me at
1: dangingis.com. It's D-A-N-G-I-N-G-I-S. S and all the things that I do, all the things that I write, uh, podcast, everything is all on that site. And uh, would love for you to stop on by. And because I talk about being responsive, uh, also, if you want to reach out, my personal email is dan at dangengas.com or hit me up on LinkedIn or Twitter. I will respond to you because that's what I do. That's what I teach. So I got to practice what I preach.
0: You really do. If you teach responsiveness, now you've got to be responsive. And I love it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I hope you enjoyed this From the Vault discussion with Dan Gingas. So go and check out his book, The Experience Maker. It's a great resource to help you figure out how to create and deliver a differentiated experience that'll brand out from the crowd. Next week and through the month of December, We're sharing more from The Vault episodes that focus on helping you create and deliver simple customer experiences. You'll hear from Margaret Malloy, Annette Franz, and Nate Brown. So if you haven't heard those episodes yet, you'll definitely want to check them out. Then we'll be back at the beginning of the year with all new guests and all new episodes. Until then, keep it simple.